I do not have a British accent, but I do have open-toed shoes, so it's, we're all good, right? That's, that's my shoe in. And I do drink, thanks to Dave's influence in my life, not only do I love Jesus more, but I drink my tea in the afternoon with milk. And uh, that's just part of his legacy in my life, and so it reminds me to pray for him. And our Connect, our Connect coffee cups, those are awesome, and uh, that reminds us to pray for you as well. The more astute among us, those of you who are sharp, the more astute among us have, may have noticed a trend happening in society today. The death rate these days is 100%. Stay with me, it's going to be a long service if that's not funny to you. Have you noticed that everybody dies? <laughs> um, and maybe that's not a laughing matter, but it's, it's a serious matter, and it's actually true, right? And uh, some people will say, well, why, why should I even worry about that? Well, uh, if that means you're going to die, um, that has some relevance to you. The death rate these days is 100%, and yet many of us never think about death. We never think about our own mortality. We can go to a funeral and think about the person who died and their mortality, but we hardly ever think about our mortality, the fact that we are not going to live on this earth in this present body forever. Apart from the coming of the Lord, which could happen at any time, we will die. You will die. And you say, well, thanks a lot, Bill. Really appreciate the encouraging word this morning. You're such a blessing. And uh, you say, well, I don't, you know, we don't even like to think about death. And have you ever thought about why we don't like to think about death? Well, I think there's a number of reasons why we don't like to think about death. One is it's unpleasant. If you find yourself just like fantasizing about death, I'm concerned about you. It's unpleasant. Some of us live in denial. You know, others of us are just not, it's not, it's everybody else but me. Some of us are so busy, you've never taken time to think about death. You're like one thing after another. You're like the guy driving down Highway 280. His cell phone rang. It was his wife. Herman, she said, be careful. I just heard on the news there's some nut driving the wrong way on Highway 280. Hazel, he said, it's not just one of them. There's hundreds of them. <laughs> now, you have to bring your mind to this message, okay? You're going to have to think with me now. Do you ever feel like Herman? There's just one after another? I mean, we're so busy we don't have time to think about our own mortality. I think a lot of us get wooed into an illusion of permanency. You know, you get up, go to work, come home, do your things at home, go to bed tomorrow, get up and go to work. Every Sunday, come to church. It's an illusion of permanency. Nothing's permanent. But my favorite group here that might push back on my uh, facing you with your own mortality are the super spiritual types. I know who you are. There's some of you here who say, Bill, listen, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Big deal if I die, I know where I'm going. And I, I want to agree with you on, on a point here. Listen, someday you'll hear, Bill Allison is dead, but don't believe it because at that point, I'll be more alive than I ever was on this earth, thanks to Jesus. Yeah, can I tell you something? I'm still a little nervous about how I'm going to check out. Aren't you? I know where I'm going, I just don't know how I'm going to check out of this life. I love this, uh, it's this bumper sticker. I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming and yelling like the passengers in his car. <laughs> Excellent, you're awake now. I'm just going to keep coming at you. But don't you love that? 
I mean, how are you going to check out? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about this. We act like we're all offended about our own mortality, but the Bible over and over and over reminds us of our own mortality. Here's a passage that I just love, and it's in the book of Ecclesiastes, and hardly anybody ever reads Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, listen closely. It's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. That's why nobody loves this book. It's better to spend your time at funerals than parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take it to heart. The book of Psalms, Psalm 39, 4 through 6. Show me, O Lord, my life's end. When's the last time you prayed that prayer? God, show me when my life's going to end. Look, it says, the number of my days, let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my, day, my days a mere handbreadth, And a handbreadth is from pinky to thumb. And in the grand scale of an eternal line, that's just the little representative. We're just a little blip on God's eternal line. It says, each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom. As he goes to and fro, he bustles about. Aren't we all bustling about? He bustles about only in vain. He heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it. That's us. I love James 4.14. What is your life, James asks? It is a mist. It's a little fog that appears for a while and then evaporates. That's you. That's me. The one I want to drill down on, and if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90. This too is another passage about the brevity of life and why we should take it to heart and the right response to the fact that we're going to die. It's a Psalm of Moses. Psalm 90 is a Psalm of Moses. Isn't that fascinating? Sometimes these different Psalms are written by different people. Of course, a lot of them by David, but this one's a Psalm of Moses, by the way, who lived to be 120, which is way above average for our time. In verse 10, he says this, Psalm 90, verse 10, the length of our days is 70 years, pause. The average age in our society today is 75 years. That's if you're average. Some of us are below average. We're going to check out soon. Others of us are going to be a little bit above average, but not a whole lot. Not a whole lot, but about 75. Is there anybody here who would be willing to admit that they are in their 70s? Is there anybody here in their 70s? Nobody in their, nobody in their 70s. Raise your hand high or you're just not willing. Somebody in the back row. Wow, okay, excellent. All right, 70. All right, look what it says. The length of our years is about 70 or 80. Is there anybody 80 in here? 80. 80 if you have strength. So there's like some real strong people who live to be in their 80s. How many know somebody in their 90s? Raise your hand. You know, how many know somebody in, their, in the hundreds? Less and less hands. Do you know why? We're going to die. And if you're 80, you're strong. Look at verse 12. Based on the brevity of life, look at verse 12. The prayer is this of Moses. Teach us to number our days aright so that we can live wisely. Moses says, I need, by the way, Moses, 40 years in Pharaoh's kingdom in Egypt, 40 years away, meets God Almighty, gets a mission, comes back, and the last 40 years of his life are the best 40 years of his life ever. So my best years, your best years, don't have to be in the behind us, ahead of us. But look what he says. This might be why. 
Teach us, Lord, to number our days aright so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. See, teach us. Living wisely and spending our short time here on earth wisely isn't something that we automatically do. Apart from God, we would squander the little time we have and spend it on stupid, wasteful, temporary things. So it's something we have to learn. It's something God has to teach us. And we got to remember the next time we go to a funeral, that's going to speak to us. You know what? That could be me next time. And if that's the case, I need to live wisely. God, teach me. This is something I need to learn. Secondly, teach us to number our days aright. Many of us are overestimating how long we're going to live. Many of us are overestimating that we are automatically going to be these people that live a long time, and we've got tomorrow. There is no guarantee tomorrow. God, teach us to number our days aright. Why? So that we can live wisely. That's what it says. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. I love the Greek word, James 1.5. It says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who will give abundantly. The Greek word Sophia literally means the ability to determine that which is important and live for it. I'm going to say it again. You want to know what wisdom is? The ability to determine that which is truly important and then to live for it. Friends, that's what I want to talk with you about today. I want to talk with you about living for that which is most important. If death could stand up here, you know the guy with the hooded sweatshirt and the sickle. If he could stand up here and give the living a message, I believe he would give us four warnings. Buckle your seatbelt. We're going to go through these at rapid speed. The first warning I think we would hear from death is this. Stop occasionally, regularly, and evaluate your life. You know why I love Sundays? Most Sundays are different than the rest of the week. And it's a chance to worship. It's a chance, a chance to gather with God's people. It's a chance to reflect. How am I doing? How is my walk with the Lord? Do I even have a relationship with the Lord? How's my marriage? How's my fathering, my mothering? How's my work life? How am I as a neighbor? How am I as a friend? Just take some inventory, evaluate. It was Socrates who said, the unevaluated life is not worth living. I want to challenge you to regularly take time to reflect. Because death, death wants us to know that life is too short to just living life for what everybody else does. I hear so much about being a revolutionary, and we all act the same. I've never seen so many followers go to a leadership conference. You don't lead with your talk, and you don't lead with your writings. You lead with your life. And I'm telling you, what I'm proposing today is, if you regularly evaluate your life and make the changes needed as you go, you will be in a way of life that will not only bring the most glory to God, and you will use your life in such a way it will be beautiful for you as well, but you will be going against the total grain of this culture the total grain of this culture because we are just a bunch of people that just do stuff without thinking about it. And I want to challenge you to take a moment and say, God, am I using my short life for your maximum glory? You ought to ask that question once in a while because it's a game changer. If you ask, God, am I using my life for me? Sad question. 
That's how to waste it. Jesus says these strange things that always disturb me, and that's how I know he's the real Jesus. Because the American Jesus never disturbs me. He drinks coffee with me, and he listens to me, and he never challenges me. But the Jesus of the Bible says weird stuff like this. If you save your life for you, you lose it. If you lose your life for me, you find it. Friends, this is why some of you are so bored with Christianity because you got a fake sort of Christianity. It's about you and Jesus is tagged on in your pocket. That's not Christianity, that's religion. Not following Jesus, that's religion. It's American Christianity. What would happen if you dared to lose your life for Jesus Christ? You would get it back in a way. As my friend says, God has given me the life I never knew I always wanted. God has given me the life I never knew because I had to lose it to find it. How you doing? Are you taking time to regularly evaluate? Two construction workers were working on a, on a, a big, tall building in a city, and they took a break, and they got out their lunch buckets. They couldn't go down because they were way up in the sky, and they were sitting on these I-beams, and one guy opens up his bucket, and the next guy opens up his bucket, and the guy says, uh, holds up a sandwich. I am so sick of bologna sandwiches. Monday bologna, Tuesday bologna, now Wednesday bologna. I am so sick of bologna sandwiches. The other guy says, what's wrong? Is your wife mad at you? I mean, is she trying to punish you? He says, I'm not married, I'm single. <laughs> Friends, much, listen to me now, much of the baloney in our lives is there because we're dared to say, teach me to number my days aright, Lord, so that I can bring great glory to you by living wisely. I dirty double dog dare you to take Psalm 90 verse 12 and write it on a three by five card and pray it so much, and then take the time to evaluate your life regularly. There's this, uh, I love small towns. I get to work with churches all different kinds of sizes. My favorite ones are the little ones out in the middle of nowhere. And I've been in so many of those. And I love the culture of a small town because when you stop at the local cafe, everybody knows you're not from the town. And they're interested. They don't know who you are. They're worried about you. You might be from the government or whatever. <laughs> so, Two guys, this one guy walks into a, a, a restaurant in one of these small little hamlets, and he's very anemic looking. He's got these big, thick glasses, and he's got a pocket protector full of pencil. He's a nerd. And uh, he walks into this place, and immediately everybody else recognizes from the local yokos. They're like, this guy ain't from here. And they began to talk to him a little bit, and they found out, uh, you know, he, he wouldn't talk much. But the guy found out, the, the, the pencil neck guy, he found out that, uh, that the, there was an ongoing uh, like legend in this, in this cafe. The guy that owned the place was a big burly cook in the back, and he had an ongoing bet. He was so strong that he would take a lemon and, and squeeze it, and if you could get a drop out of the lemon rind, he'd pay you $1,000. And that's when the old boy who didn't say much perked up. He said, I'll take that bet. Well, the locals were excited about it because this guy was so skinny, and the big burly chef was, 
was a was a man's man, and so they pulled him. They pulled him out of the, the big burly chef looked at the pencil neck guy and how thin he was, and he thought this is going to be easy. He, t- he took this lemon and he cut it right right in half, and he took one of the halves of the lemon and he squeezed it right in front of that old boy's face, and the locals loved it, and he kept doing it, and he kept doing it. About the time you didn't think any more juice could come out of that. He squeezed it some more, and a bunch more ran down his arm, and then he laid it down on that. And all this guy's got to do is get one drop. Picked it up with his bony little fingers, and he looked at it through his thick glasses, and he squeezed it. And that day, six drops, six drops came out of that lemon rind, and the place went nuts. In defeat, the big burly owner went back to the safe and pulled out 10 $100 bills, counted them out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Boom, put his hands over him. And before he scooted him over to the old boy, he said to him, Before I give you this thousand dollars, who are you and what do you do? And the old boy said, I will not tell you who I am, but I'll tell you this I work for the IRS. (laughs) Now, friends, that's funny. Because they know how to squeeze the juice out of everything, don't they? (laughs) Now, I share that story with you because John 10.10 says, listen to this. John 10.10 says, I have come to give you life, Jesus says, and to give it to you abundantly. In the Greek, it's pleroma. It's this idea of to the full and overflowing. You got one shot. You have a lemon rind called your life. I want to squeeze every drop out of the abundant Christian life God has given me. And I don't want to go to heaven with a lemon that's never been squeezed. I want everything God wants to give to me, even the trials, because I know that they'd be good for me if they come from a loving father. Evaluate. Take some time. I think death would also say to us, if we're going to teach our, if, if we're going to pray the prayer, teach us to number our days aright because our life is so short so that we can live wisely. I think death would also say, not only evaluate, but live with a focused urgency. Not with like a chicken with your head cut off, but like a focused urgency. This is the idea of being wise, living for that which matters most. Let me ask you this. What do you spend your life on? What do you spend your time on? I think it was Ben Franklin that said, if you, want, if you want to make the most of your life, don't waste time, for that is the stuff life is made of. How do you use your time? If I were to ask you, what are your top three priorities, you would say God, Jesus, the church, all that kind of stuff. Because you're tempted to lie, you're in church. But if we looked at your calendar, we might find something different, right? Because we vote with our life and our time. Teach us to number our days aright so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. We should deceive ourselves. We have infinite capacity for self-deception. I'll say it again. We have infinite capacity for self-deception. I have seven kids. That's not bragging. That's a prayer request. You pray for us. But fishing with kids is never about fishing. It's about not getting hooked. Right? And I've been hooked a number of times. 
but I do it anyway. Do you know why? To make memories. I'd rather catch fish, but in the grand scheme of things, pretty soon I'll be fishing by myself. So why not now make memories? What's most important? Sophia, what's most important at this season of my life, and how do I spend my time on it? That, my friends, is the question we all need to wrestle. You know, some of you need to make a phone call this afternoon. You need to call somebody you love, but you haven't told them you loved them in a long time. And you think they're going to be around tomorrow. Can I tell you something? Make the phone call. Just say, today at church, I was reminded about how short my life is, how short all of our lives are, and I just want you to know something. I love you. I work with students across the nation as well, and um, I remember I was in Memphis, Tennessee, working with a bunch of junior high kids, and uh, I was challenging them. That we had a great week of camp. It was awesome. God had done some great things in their life. And I'm of the thought that if God did something great in your life, it doesn't just show up at church. It shows up in your home. When your mom and dad know Jesus is in you, you're on the right track. And so I said to the students, I want to challenge you to send a message to your parents, Jesus has done something in your life. And they said, okay, what should we do? And I said, when your mom or dad pick you up at the church. I know you're all going to go back in the bus. You're going to go back to the church parking lot. Your parents are going to be there. I want you to run up to your mom and or your dad. I want you to grab them by the face gently. I want you to look them right in the eyes as a junior high student and do what you hardly ever do. You hardly ever do this. Mom, dad, I love you. They're going to think Jesus is coming back if you do that. Right? Like, that's the apocalyptic white horse. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, whoa, God did something great in my kid. So I, three days later, I get this email from, from some sisters, and they said, hey, Mr. Allison, thank you for challenging us to say I love you to uh, our parents. My dad picked us up, and my sister and I both ran to him, and we grabbed him gently by the face, and we looked him right in the eyes, and we said, Dad, we love you. And he said, I love you too. And then the next sentence, I kid you not, said this. I'm so glad that we did that because that night my dad had a brain aneurysm and died. Teach us to number our days aright so that we can live wisely. I don't want to go to anybody's funeral that I love wishing I would have told them that I loved them. Who do you need to have a focused urgency about in your life? right now. This may mean some major changes, like you drop the kids off somewhere and get a date. You know, that marriage is way bigger. I'm sorry, American culture, you're wrong. A kid-centric marriage is going to kill you, and it's going to hurt the kids. You got to be, first of all, a Jesus-centered, and then each other, because your marriage is going to outlive, if you do this right, your kids. When's the last time you took the kids fishing or whatever that is for you? I know, we're all busy. But teach us to number our days aright so that we can live wisely. I think a third thing that death might say to us is invest in that which is eternal, not temporal. Temporal. Invest in that which is eternal. Look at 2 Peter 3.10. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This is the future. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? I try to avoid cliches like the plague. (laughs) You guys are leaving me out to dry so bad today. (laughs) That was ironic. In some ways, it's all going to burn, according to 2 Peter 3. It's not a sin to have money. I like money. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? (laughs) I have seven kids. It comes in handy for food. Right? But but listen, your life is bigger than money. It's got to be. Your only sense of masculinity and femininity can't be, look at me, I make a lot of money. What we do? He who dies with the most toys still dies. But let's be honest. Money has a place in our life. But if all you have is money, while you're letting the most important things in your life, your family, your friends, the mission of Jesus Christ, the church, if you're ignoring all of that and letting the most important things slip through your hands and you end up with money and that's all you have, you're sad. You are the epitome of the book of Ecclesiastes. You got everything but that which matters, God and his purposes. But let's be honest. I think it's okay to say we like money. But listen to this. I like money. I like the things money can buy. But listen, I love the things money can't buy. (laughs) I like the things money can buy, but I love the things money can't buy. Money can buy you a house, like the physical structure, but it can't buy you a home, and that's everything that happens inside, isn't it? Difference between a house and a home. I love the home. I like, I I think money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can buy you a clock, but it can't add one more second to your life. Money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. Money can buy you a book and knowledge, but it can't buy you wisdom. I like the things money can buy, but I love the things money can't buy. You mark my words. The next funeral you go to, listen to me closely. The next funeral you go to, watch where they put that body. It's usually a hearse. And then they take it out to the grave. And behind that hearse, you will never find a U-Haul. Right? You, your kids are going to fight over that stuff. And then they'll put it in a rummage sale if, if they don't want it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Your big screen TV is going to be going somewhere. But your china, all of the other things that you love, I'm telling you, it's going to come and go. My Gibson Les Paul guitar, I hope my son is smart enough to take that. But we all have our favorite things. How can you know what your favorite thing is? You ever play this game? Ask my wife this question one time. If the house caught on fire and we got the kids out, we don't have any pets. If we got the kids out, what would you get? What material possession would you get? And like all women, she said, the photo albums, right? Because you can, those are irreplaceable. And those of you who have been through the tornado know exactly what I'm saying. You can't get some of that stuff back. That's a fun question for you to have today. But remember, 
It's all, it's all temporary. And this is, so what, what's, what lasts forever, according to the Bible? You ever think about this? What lasts forever? Again, I'm not saying, use our resources. Use, I mean, it's okay to have a great home, all that kind of stuff. But if that's all you have, it's kind of sad. What does God say lasts forever? Two things, according to the Bible, from my, from my own study, that I see that lasts forever. First one is the Bible. The Bible says, the grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. You want to invest your life in eternity? You better become a person of the book. It will change your life if you will read it and apply it to your life. Every minute you spend in the Bible is one of the most best things you could ever do to be wise because you will get a new idea of what it means to live in a world and live cross-culturally against it. Secondly, souls. Every person has a soul. Those souls live forever somewhere. So every time you are engaging God through the word and you are engaging people, trying to love them and help them find Jesus and take a journey or encourage people who know Jesus, those are the things. God's words and people are the most important things you can build your life on that will go into eternity on the other side. All right, let's evaluate here. Number one was regularly evaluate. Number two was live a life with urgency that's focused. And third, think eternal, not temporal. And then lastly, listen, design your own legacy. I wish everybody here would write their funeral eulogy, their own funeral. Everybody hates doing this exercise. I do. But I think it's so important because we're all going to leave a legacy, some of them not good ones. Because if you, if you hear this message and you don't start praying, God, teach me to number my days aright so I can live wisely for your glory, then you know what will happen? You'll live foolishly. And you will leave a legacy of foolishness. I come from a family that has no regard for God, his word, and the most important things in life. And the funerals that I've gone to over my life where my family members were involved are some of the most desperate, saddest funerals I've ever seen in my life. On the other hand, I have a slew of friends who know Christ, follow Jesus, and when they pass away, we party. It's hard, we cry, but we party. You get to decide which legacy you want. You know how this is gonna work? You know how this is going to work. You're going to die. I'm going to die. They're going to cry. And then they're going to eat potato salad and have fun. Isn't that our culture? I mean, it's sad, but you know, it's the way it goes, right? You're going to leave a legacy. What legacy is it? I wish if I could change one thing in our culture about death and dying, it would be our tombstones. Our tombstones. They're, they're so boring, right? You walk into a graveyard, and uh, it's a, by the way, you should walk through graveyards because it reminds you what? I'm going to be there someday. Therefore, I should live my life wisely. But the tombstones are so boring. You got your name. You got, you know, love, you know, departed husband or wife or whatever it might be, and you got your birthday and your death day, and you got this little dash that represents your life. One stinking little How do you sum up a life with a That's it, right? That doesn't do anybody justice. So I, you know, so I told my wife, I don't want to cost you a lot of money when I die, um, and I never try to be worth more money by dying because I never want to give my wife any incentive. <laughs> I want her to think I need this guy. 
but I'm going to try to leave a little bit so she can do something with my tombstone. If you could write anything on your tombstone, what would it be? What do you want on your tomb? This is the discussion I want you to have today. What do you want on your tombstone? And don't say pepperoni. I'm talking about your tombstone. I've asked my wife to honor this. I don't know if she will. She's stubborn. She's firstborn too. But I want two, I got two sides to a tombstone. I want to maximize the writing. Right? On one side, I want something like deadly serious. And I want, I'm going to aspire to, I mean, right now I'm aspiring to live like this so that all of my kids will be able to say this about me and anybody who knows me close will be able to say this about me. He did his best, and notice how I word this. Not that he achieved it. No, Allison's a knucklehead. We know that. But he did his best to love God, love people, and make disciple makers. Man, if they can say that about me, I'm in that little, I'm smiling, I'm with Jesus, I am so happy if they can say, he didn't always get it right, but he did his best to do that. And then on the outside, because I think what's going to happen is once we get put in the ground, nobody, they'll come and visit us for a while, but let's be honest, the only long-term relationship our bodies are going to have is with the person who mows the grass, right? That guy's going to be there every week. Be mowing the grass. And so on the outside, I want this to be said. I told you I was sick. Now, I think you can see my sick sense of humor here, right? I think that's funny. I think it would intrigue somebody. Why would somebody put that on their tombstone? Who is this crazy person who can laugh in the face of death? Because we can Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It has been swallowed by Jesus Christ. And then I hope they come around and read what I really want. And I hope it intrigues them and puts them on a spiritual journey or affirms the one they're on. What do you want on your tombstone? I want to read a story in closing. And well, I'll tell you what, let me, let me just do this. I want to honor the time here. I want, to, I want you to look at me for a moment, as scary as that is. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Because that's step one. If you want, if you pray this prayer, Lord, teach me the number of my days are right so I can live wisely, then you've got to know Christ is your Savior. If you have any doubt, I want to tell you something. You're in a great church. They can help you remove that doubt. And you can know certain. You can have certainty. So don't leave here going, I hope, I hope I have a relationship with God. Secondly, you're here, you claim to know Christ, but you're dinking around, stop it. Or as the Bible says, repent. Stop it. You got a short life. Start praying. Lord, teach us to number our days aright so that we can live wisely for your glory. You hear and you love Jesus, and for crying out loud, do something besides sit in church. Get involved. Do something that will take the cause that changes the world and multiplies it in Washington and beyond. I'm glad you came to church. But if you think all God wants us to do is sit our fannies in a church for an hour, you're sadly mistaken. There is way more life for you, abundant life, 
for you? Are you squeezing every drop of it? What would that look like for you to do that? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Friends, before I pray, and it's going to be a short prayer, it's going to be Psalm 90:12. I want to challenge you to pray Psalm 90:12. Teach us to number our days aright so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. You have a short life, I have a short life. If you don't know Christ, I encourage you to come to know him because the gospel will put you on a path. He will, Jesus will give you the life you never knew you always wanted. If you're dinking around, I challenge you, stop it. Get your act together with Jesus. You're in a great church that wants to help you. Come to know Christ. Follow Christ. And some of you, some of you have spent your whole life on you. And you have never squeezed the lemon rind of the abundant Christian life. What are you waiting for? Father, teach us to number our days aright so that we can live with your wisdom. And all God's people said...